0: Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all the social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N. Why While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahanacademy.com, always free to enroll. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll and purchase a class or 20 there. That way you keep this podcast free of charge and you get great content on the back end. All those classes are awesome and you're going to want them. And of course, when you purchase classes, it makes it to where I can do this podcast. So. It's a win-win. You can also support the show by clicking on the support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way. You can donate one time. You can donate monthly. You can do all kinds of things. But, of course, that does help keep this show free of charge as well, or at least keeps it going. You're paying for it. It's not necessarily free of charge, but it keeps it going. Also, you can click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. That's a great way to support the show and show off the logo, and let people get people talking. Hey, what's this think locally, act locally thing? Also, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Share it around on social media. Let people know you are thinking locally and acting locally. And we talked a lot about that this week. And in fact, we're going to wrap up the week with a discussion of that in a macro way. And it's two articles published by the left, one at MSNBC and one at The Week that talk about what's happening in America right now. One, uh, the title of one piece is uh, The Return of the Libertarian Movement. It's by Samuel Goldman. And the subtitle is The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of the Libertarian Movement. Libertarianism is back with a new look. This is published February 2nd, 2022. The other is an opinion piece, The Secret Ingredient That Makes Societies Better at Fighting COVID. So, both of these are coming from the exact same place. What's wrong with America is that Americans have decided they don't trust each other and they don't trust the government. You see, if Americans just trusted each other and trusted the government, then we would be better at doing all of this stuff. Part of the problem there, I think, overall, is that we don't want somebody from Washington, D.C., it doesn't matter what your political persuasion, if you don't agree with that party in power because you don't like them telling you what to do. So when it was Donald Trump, the left didn't trust Donald Trump. You can look at all of the tweets, all of the social media. I'm not taking Trump's vaccine. And now, take the vaccine. Right? You, so it's flipped. We see all the hypocrisy. We see it on a regular basis. People don't people don't trust each other. They don't trust the left. I think more than anything, a lot of Americans don't really trust the left because they think the left is kooky, and for good reason, because they are. They're a bunch of kooks. You want to talk about people that have a new religion, it's government. And it doesn't matter what anything says, as long as I'm saying it, look, this is the hill I'm going to die on, right? This is the academic mentality of the left, and you see it all the time. You see it in the academy. I've made this thesis, and even if I'm wrong, I'm still going to defend it to the death because it's what made my career. So even if there isn't any evidence of voter fraud or on one side, or there isn't any evidence of, of uh, voter suppression, I should say. Voter suppression. There's no evidence of voter suppression, Right? Nobody's getting their. Nobody's having voter suppression. They're still going to die on that hill. It's happening all the time. It's happening every day. People are not able to vote. Less well, just because they don't go. You can vote anywhere, right? So there's no voter suppression. That doesn't exist. But yet they're larping. They're live action role playing the 1960s over and over again. So people don't trust the government to do things because they don't trust the people in charge. They think they're a bunch of buffoons, and many of them are. Look, this is the right. This is people on the right, too. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a buffoon. She's she's not very bright. You get people on the right all the time that aren't very bright, and yet they say a lot of uh, sensational things, and so we have a situation where uh people don't trust them and for for good reason. on the left, we can find Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. I'll never forget when the two uh, Green and Cortez, you know Green confronted Cortez on the floor of the house and they were going to have a debate. That would be the most idiotic thing we could ever watch in the history of politics. It would be idiocracy. It would be that. It would be, you know, a President Camacho up there, Debating, uh, you know, somebody that doesn't know anything either. That's what it would be. Those two idiots debating would be the. I mean, look, it would be great entertainment because it would just be complete stupidity on both sides. This is the problem. We we elect the lowest common denominator because democracy creates that situation. So I want to start with this piece at MSNBC. Uh, opinion: The secret ingredient that makes societies better at fighting COVID. This is by uh, Zishan Alim. Why have some countries fared better in handling the pandemic than others? A growing pile of evidence, evidence points to trust in the government and in our fellow citizens as a significant predictor of a country's ability to act cooperatively and reduce the spread of the virus. So it's all because of tr- so trust in the government. Well, what what has the government done? That makes anybody want to trust them. All they ever do is mess everything up. I love the bumper sticker is out there. Uh If it ain't broke, government will fix it till it is. Right? All the stuff that's been done, even the left is starting to recognize this now, really hasn't done a whole lot to do anything to stop the pandemic, to stop the spread of the virus. All the mandates, all the masking requirements, all that stuff hasn't really done much of anything. And the left, this is why they're dropping all this stuff. Because they realize it. Well, it's really not doing much. At the end of the day, what's actually happening with this piece misses. What all these people miss It's personal responsibility that's crushing things, you see. Because reliance in government to tell you what to do makes it to where you won't go out and try to figure things out for yourself and try to do things that are personal responsible. If you're sick, you stay home. You don't infect other people. That's what you do. That's personal responsibility. So, if that's the case, then if people actually did that, we could see maybe less transmission. These are the things that people need to do to ensure That stuff is better. Now, we can say a lot of people don't have personal responsibility. Why? Because everyone's a victim. It's always somebody else's fault that this is bad or this is terrible, this is something that's going on. We don't take personal responsibility for these things. So the piece continues. Most recently, a study published in The Lancet, a premier medical journal, pulled together vast amounts of data from 177 countries from January 2020 to September 2021 and found that trust in government and other citizens stood out as a predictor of a country's performance against the spread of infections by contrast a host of other features of societies that might consider they might may, many might consider critical factors like healthcare capacity to not appear to play a role in mitigating the spread of covid quote we found no links between covid outcomes and democracy populism government effectiveness universal healthcare pandemic preparedness metrics economic inequality, or trust in science. Relentlessly demanding that people believe the science is not going to do the trick. So, there's no correlation, there's no outcomes between democracy, populism, government effectiveness, universal health care, etc., etc. In other words, all this stuff didn't work. The only thing that would work is personal responsibility, or... Lack of government. You see, it's not really government that does all these things. At all. But this Aleem doubles down on everything. He doubles down. The problem here is that we need more government and more trust in government. The concluding paragraph. Laying out how to solve our trust crisis, which has huge implications for everything from our political life to levels of violence in our society, is beyond the scope of this column. But here are a couple of starters. The Lancet study calls for greater investment in risk communication and community engagement strategies. Well, who's going to do that? Greater investment. That means more government money in these things. So here's the government I'm here to help. This is the the thing, you know, Ronald Reagan said you need to be very skeptical of that. And that's just because of, I mean, look. People should be skeptical of that. There's example after example after example throughout the history of the world where that's a bad thing. But yet, Aleem thinks it's a good thing. The researchers writing in the Times calls for universal programs of the kind we saw during the Great Society to help recultivate the public's faith in government and the notion that individual flourishing is bound up in collective well-being. So in other words, he says, build out more robust and universal social services that combat inequality and communicate effectively with the public. These are not quick fixes, but they're necessary ones. So the the problem is we don't have enough great society programs. You see, if we had more government in America, if we had more government in America, this would have been all better. This is a certain type of political culture. And it's clashing with another type of political culture in America, which is, we don't want all that. And that's because there are many different Americas. There are many different concepts of liberty. You see, and I've talked about this on this podcast. To Aleem, liberty is freedom from fear. It's that Puritan collective liberty. I'm going to be safe. I'm going to know I'm safe because we're doing things... Because the society is saying we have to do all these things and it's going to force everyone to do these things, so I'm safe. Freedom from from fear of being personally harmed by somebody else. And then there's real individual liberty where I'm free to do what I want. You see, the left is in that freedom from fear camp all the time. This is even when the data now is showing. And even when you had Fauci stand up and say, you know, masks at the beginning, masks aren't really going to work. Well, we got mask mandates anyways, and now they're pulling back on those mask mandates because they're not working. Even when the data is there, the freedom from fear people are still going to say, you got to wear a mask. Because it's just, I'm afraid of you now. I'm afraid. And even if, but of course, unless you're Stacey Abrams and you can go to a classroom where all the kids are masked up and you don't have to wear one because you're special. That's also Puritanism, by the way. Because... The Puritan leaders had dispensations from these things. They didn't have to do the stuff that the other people did because they're better. They're wiser. They know more. Right? So this is the issue with these kind of things. So that's where you know we have a disconnect. People don't trust other people because they think they're loons, because of all the hypocrisy. Where the mask is going to be better, yet they're seen walking around with no mask on. Well, of course, people aren't going to trust the government there. We need to stamp out corruption in society while the, the bureaucracy that they're running is the most corrupt thing in the history of the world. It's not stamping out corruption, you're just fueling it. It's horrible. This is what happens on a regular basis because of trust in big government and big society. Or because people, I mean, people running these things, there are no George Washingtons anymore. There are no pure Republicans in America anymore that were doing it just for the good. You can even say John Adams was that way, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, the people that were in. Now, there were, of course, self-interested people in all these positions. It always is going to be that way. George Washington was perhaps the most uh, non-self-interested person in the history of American government. You can really say that about Washington. He wasn't really self-interested. But there was only one George Washington. The system, if it was set up for someone like George Washington, was bound to fail. This is why the smaller needed to be, because you can't have all this power in the center and believe that people are going to get there and not want to abuse it. People abuse power because that's what they can do. And the people people that are going to naturally be gravitating towards that, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, take your pick, the people that naturally gravitate towards that, Do it because it's power, and they want to control things. They're control freaks. Obama is a control freak. Donald Trump's a control freak. Joe Biden's a control freak. George W. Bush, control freak. George H. W. Bush, control freak. Richard Nixon. Franklin Roosevelt. Woodrow Wilson. Harry Truman. Harry Truman actually was on record saying, you know, if I had a lot of money, I would buy votes. Because he wants the power. He'd kneecap people if he had the money to do it. He wants the power. These are the kind of people that our system perpetuates. The Clintons. And so, of course, people don't trust that. Why would they? Why would they trust any of that? These aren't people you know. This is where too big is a problem. The piece is missing the is missing missing is the key component here. America is too big. We do trust more people at the local level than the state level. We've got people at the local level saying, you know, yeah, we don't, need to, we don't need to have this or do this. Or maybe it's the people you trust saying we need to do this, so they're going to trust them. They don't trust the people at the center because they don't know them. That personal connection needs to be there for people to trust somebody. This is where Jefferson talked about his ward republics. You trust people. You know people there. Or you, you don't trust them because you know them. And so, therefore, you avoid what they're saying. You got to know the people. Are they good people? Are they bad people? Who are they? Are they trustworthy people? So that and the piece that was run at the week begins with the question, do you remember the libertarian movement? Moment, I'm sorry. I wouldn't blame you if not. For a few years around the end of the Obama administration, though, it looked as if the right just might coalesce around restrained foreign policy, opposition to electronic surveillance and other threats to civil liberties, and enthusiasm for an innovative economy, very much including the tech industry. Beyond policy, the libertarian turn was associated with a hip effect that signaled comfort with pop culture. Even though they were personally far from cool, the New York Times compared the movement's electoral figureheads, the father and son duo Ron and Rand Paul, to grunge bands Nirvana and Pearl Jam. In retrospect, in retrospect, Those descriptions seem naive. Less than a year after the Times feature was published, the announcement of Donald Trump's presidential campaign sounded the death knell of the libertarian movement, along with Rand Paul's own bid for the presidency. In another unforeseen twist, though, the pendulum seems to now be swinging back toward libertarian instincts. While in office, Trump had deployed an apocalyptic idiom that clashed dramatically with the libertarian's characteristic optimism. Although personally indifferent to ideas, Trump also inspired a cohort of intellectuals who denounced libertarians' ostensible indifference to the common good and proposed a more assertive role for government in directing economic and social life. Now, see, he's actually right about this. It's getting into this inner, this inner struggle in the conservative movement, quote-unquote, between different factions in the movement. The libertarians tend to be more in line with think locally, act locally. They do. Uh, And the Trumpists, many of them, tend to be more authoritarian. Uh, And this is because I think they they believe that think locally, act locally, or this more decentralized model is not going to work because it creates leftist enclaves that that they can't stand. And this is true. See, this is part of the Yankee mentality of all that. The leftist enclaves are going to be there. You just got to live with it. And you don't want them to control things. And we understand, so how do you stop that? You decentralize. Now, I I mean, I know people, well, you can't do that anymore. You got the 14th Amendment, you can't decentralize. Well, I talked about at the beginning of the week, well, here's how you do it. You don't take the mandates. Now, that doesn't take away the threat of court, decision, going to being sued in court and all that kind of stuff. We need people on the bench because of judicial supremacy. That's a problem. We need people on the bench who will knock this stuff down. So, if you again, if you're a legal mind listen to this podcast, get in these positions and start working that way. But as the pandemic has continued, opposition to restrictions on personal conduct, suspicion of expert authority, and free speech for controversial opinions have become dominant themes in center-right arguments and activism. Again, what's going on here? Suspicion of expert authority. Well, it's easy to have suspicion of that because these people are buffoons. They've been proven wrong. And government hasn't helped. Government's done all kinds of things to crush society. It crushed the entire economy. I'll never forget, early in uh, 2020, going to an outdoor park. It's closed. so people just walked around it and walked on it anyways. But it was closed. Eventually, they stuck a police officer out there and threatened to arrest you if you show up at the park. But enough opposition I mean, it was. If people raised cane over this, the police officer went away, and the lines came down, and people started walking in the park again. Because there was no science here; it was just, well, we think this might work, but it was shown it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to do anything. People were just walking around outside in the fresh air with UV. And you know we all know fresh air, UV, all that stuff. You get outside, you don't get sick as much, right? So you 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 stop that problem. But it was just well, we're going to do this because it's authoritarian. Because a bunch of uh, do-gooders and Yankees decided this is what we needed to do, and nobody trusted them anymore. The symbolic villain of the new libertarian movement is Anthony Fauci. His heroes include Joe Rogan, whose podcast has been a platform for vaccine skeptics, advocates of. Uh, ivermectin and other dubious treatments for COVID, COVID and other challenges to the expert consensus. Appeals to personal freedom, limited government, and uh, skepticism about pan- against pandemic authorities have some basis in the organized libertarian movement. Early in the pandemic, the American Institute for Economic Research issued the so-called Great Barrington Declaration, which rejected lockdowns and argued that mitigation strategies could be limited to the most vulnerable position portion of the population. In the Senate, Paul has been the leading critic of Fauci and the CDC. Long-standing libertarian positions have, often been, have also been energized by the pandemic. The disruption of public education, for example, has revitalized the school choice movement. I mean, all these things are true. Look, if nothing else, I think this piece is onto something. What's happened with the last two years is the positions libertarians or decentralists or all these people have taken for years have been shown to be viable alternatives to the status quo, to the center. It's been shown to be correct. This is why people are buying it, right? And why they're not buying the the stuff from Aleem at MSNBC. We need more government. We need more great society programs to make this all work because the other side has been shown to be more effective. And people don't want to be locked into their houses or their apartment in New York City for weeks on end where they can't even go anywhere. People don't want that. It's unhealthy. It's unnatural. This is just not what people want to do. But it would be a mistake, Goldman says. It would be a mistake to think these appeals succeeded because Americans may have newfound appreciation for Milton Friedman or Frederick Hayek. More than any coherent political theory, the libertarian revival draws on inarticulate but powerful currents of anti authoritarianism in American culture. In a blog post drawing on the work of historian David Hackett Fisher, the writer Tanner Greer argues that this disposition is an inheritance from the Scotch-Irish settlers of colonial America. Now, this is amazing. Now, I haven't read this piece. Uh, it's a piece in um, the scholar's age, The Problem of the New Right. This is April 2021. And people are discovering David Hackett Fisher. Now, I've been talking about David Hackett Fisher for a long time. But now, oh my goodness, Tanner Greer has figured this out. Ooh. You know, uh, he's an essayist, journalist, and independent researcher. So he's figuring out that, wait a second here um there's this uh this David Hackett Fisher thing this is true right I mean David Hackett Fisher's Albion seed which is what he's talking about is the the book on American culture in the 17th century now the 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 stuff I talked about last week what is a Yankee which uh was based on a book by uh, Edmund um it's uh the Puritan family is the title of that book. Um, it was, it's also very good, but Fisher puts all that stuff together. That was published long before Fisher's book. To explain the cultural differences in America. Concentrating on his recent expressions, my predecessor, Matthew Walther, described the defiant, individualistic, risk embracing sensibility of Barstool conservatism after Barstool sports founder Dave Portnoy, who joins Rogan among its most prominent representatives. Whatever its origins, the new quasi-libertarianism is an obstacle to the managerial tendencies that increasingly define the center-left. More than opposition to the government as such, it revolves around opposition to administrative restrictions imposed for one's own good. If the old libertarianism was obsessed with the risk of ideological totalitarianism, the new version concentrates on the influence of human resource bureaucrats, public health officials, and neighborhood busybodies. No, it focuses on Yankees. Yankees. Yankees can be totalitarians too, and they're ideological because the state is their religion. Its idealized enemy isn't the commissar, it's the high school guidance counselor. This is also true. I mean, I think that this piece by Goldman's getting right on some, get some things right here. It's the local that you got to worry about, and also the, the center as well. I mean, look, coming from the top down, we have this laser beam focus on the center. And that's Fauci. That symbol is Fauci and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and all of that. Donald Trump, if you're on the right, whatever it is. If you're on the left and you're looking at the right, all of that. You know, we got to remember, Fauci was there for the Trump administration too. Okay, So that's the focus. But then all the implementation of that has gone down to local. So what people have said is, we're walking past the rope, we're putting pressure on the city council, on the state governments, and we're just not going to do it. And they figured out this is the way to, that it works. And so this is why decentralization, thinking locally, acting locally, has been proven correct. Even the stuff when I talked about yesterday with Confederate monuments and all of that, that's coming from the left to take down the right, supposedly, even though they're already in power. The reor- that reorientation from philosophical to mundane grievances is key to its demographic appeal. Decades ago, the left benefited from its association with resistance to busybodies, Think of Frank Zappa and other musicians who oppose efforts to place warning labels on records they consider obscene. Today, outspoken progressives are prominent among those demanding censorship of uh, misinformation, including Rogan's removal removal from the Spotify platform that hosts his podcasts. An occasionally, juvenile sense of defying petty tyranny helps explain why the libertarian revival appears so powerfully to young men. Rather than the defense of natural rights, it's an instinctive dislike of being bossed around. This libertarian revival isn't just the political equivalent of cutting class, though. The unimpressive performance of schools, the FDA, and other vehicles of public policy have undermined the ambitious goals Democrats hope to pursue under the Biden administration. It's hard to make the case for free college, increased education spending, or single-payer health care with the institutions that would have to deliver those benefits seeming unwilling or unable to do their current jobs. Progressives don't want to hear it, but the air big government is probably over again. This is true, right? I mean, people are ticked at the ineffective nature of government. So you've got, the, the leam is doubling down on this. We need more government. But people are saying, enough, it doesn't work. Failing schools, failing bureaucracy, failing, all this is failing, none of this works, we're just screwing everything up, this, because we don't want it. Progressives are showing their hand, and they're showing why it's so bad and so awful. In the past, that conclusion might have been celebrated by conservatives. Today, it's more controversial. During Trump's presidency, some theorists entertain hopes the Republicans might become the party of the state. In addition to co- uh, conventional hopes for restricting pornography and halting the reversing legalization of drugs, that includes proposals for sweeping industrial policies to promote domestic manufacturing and cash benefits for married parents to promote traditional family patterns. Rejecting libertarian confidence and spontaneous order, these intellectuals argued that both the economy and the culture need to be in intentionally guided toward the common good. This is common good conservatism, right? I've talked about this on this, on this podcast. I think he's right about that. The new right's challenge to libertarian optimism that order, prosperity, or other conservative goals would come about automatically is often insightful. But there's hope that the dour and devout can achieve theoretically rational outcomes by capturing and redirecting some of the same institutions that have been discredited during the pandemic that now seems utopian. Iconoclastic podcasters and the freedom convoy of truckers protesting vaccine mandates may not have been what journalists and activists had in mind when they spoke of libertarian movement five years ago, but they're the vanguard of its sequel today. It's a grassroots, bottom-up, think-locally, act-locally revolution in many ways. This I, this is why I like this Goldman piece. It is a bottom-up revolution, not a top-down we didn't, I mean, Ron Paul was great, but we didn't need the president to be a libertarian. We needed, or, uh, you know, a liberty minded person. We needed people in the communities to do this. And more than anything else, what the last two years have shown is people are wanting to step out and get involved. This is the Mike Mahari piece we started on Monday. We bookended this on, on Friday, or I'm sorry, on Thursday to do this, to show you that all of this works together. So that's why I wanted to cover this piece. Now, if you want to get me five times a week, head over to the Abbeville Institute or look up Abbeville Institute on your mobile device. Uh, get, their, uh, get their app. And, of course, I do a podcast there, uh, a fifth podcast for the week. Sometimes it's on Friday. Sometimes it's on Saturday. Sometimes it's on Sunday. It Depends on when I can get to it. Uh, but that will be the fifth podcast of the week. So if you want me five times a week, you can do that. Just get the Abbeville Institute podcast. You can find that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as well. So... That said, thank you for joining me this week. I'll see you next week on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.